as an industry, anything we can do to make it simpler for a business owner to get paid, that's the biggest benefit we can provide. You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. This is Kara Hayward presenting Fintech Karaoke for the Payments Innovation Podcast. Very excited to have Derek Sutton from AutoBooks. He's the VP of Marketing there. Welcome, Derek. Hey, Kara. How's it going? Things are going really well. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today. Um, maybe if we could just quickly start with a uh, introduction and a little bit of background on you and, and AutoBooks. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Derek, as, as you said, I lead marketing at AutoBooks. Then here, you know, AutoBooks was founded kind of the end of 2015. Formally, we really commercialized the business in 2017. I started in 2018. So started off kind of working more in product and design of the application. And then I've moved into marketing, something that's been something that I've been really interested in for a long time. I've never formally led marketing, but I'm really, you know, kind of excited for the challenge and, and the journey we have ahead of us. As you know, just a background, you know, um, in fintech. So I just got roped into this industry as a, as a wee lad. I was actually in college and joined a data processing company, a bank data processing company as an intern in college and, and was there for, I think, three years and didn't know what we did. <laughs> you know, I was just young and like, what is bank data processing, you know? And, you know, it was just a weird, you know, just kind of a weird industry to me in many ways. It's like, all right, so we have all these like computer systems and we're doing all this stuff for banks and like they move really slow. And this was all kind of like early 2000s. And I was just like, man, this is, um, you know, kind of boring, quite frankly. And I just kind of hung around and then the next thing you know, like this whole wave of digital banking just happened. And then we were the, the small company I was working with at the time was a name uh, was called McCoy Myers and Associates. It was in you know, Amarillo, Texas. And we had banks all over Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, for the most part. We were acquired by CSI. And then, um, you know, while my, at CSI just kind of expanded what, I, what was kind of, you know, at the table for, for me to work on and in and in. And um, they had a payments business and they had just a more depth and breadth of, of capabilities. And, you know, the McCoy Myers team was always really scrappy and just got a lot of things done and then moved into digital banking. CSI at the time didn't have our, didn't have their own digital banking platform. And so kind of partnered up with some people there and we, we kind of architected and built their first digital banking platform, you know, took it to market. And then I, I left CSI to join Wade at Bano. Bano was then acquired by Jack Henry, spent some time there. And then I left between my time at Jack Henry and Autobooks actually founded my own product and design agency and worked with a couple of fintechs to kind of help them design products and bring them to market and do some of their marketing experience work as well. So that's me in, in a nutshell. That's fantastic. And I, I love that lens that you have kind of starting in the, the old school data centers at, at the time, which were being gobbled up right by the big yeah. four and, sure. and then seeing that, that digital wave and, and having the, the lens you do now of it's like almost like 2.0, right? <laughs> Digital wave 2.0. Yeah, and banking um, 2.0. I mean, you know, yeah. literally saw the wave of how banking used to be done. You know, it's it's actually indicative of my age group. I'm not Gen X and I'm not, you know, the the Gen Z or the Gen Y group. I'm actually kind of like that group that's in between of like I've lived in an analog world and I've lived in a digital world and I've seen I've lived in a uh, an analog banking world and I've lived in a digital banking world and like those two, like kind of having both sides and both feet and both camps and like seeing both sides of it is, I think has always been something that's been impactful, quite frankly, yeah. in my career and like, you know, just my thought process and the way I think about banking. 
I think it's important. I'm, I'm in the same group. I, I think there's an official name for us, but uh, the fact that we yeah. could still technically balance a checkbook, I think is. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. We're, um, the Oregon, we're the Oregon Trail Group. Exactly, like exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's important. And I think it's a great lens because so much of the banking infrastructure still is very analog. And so we're trying to build that digital piece on top of it. So I'd love to shift to talk a little bit about small businesses in America. I know that is a a cornerstone of of ultimately who you serve at AutoBooks. And obviously, I think, you know, COVID has, it's it's very clear. It's really created a lot of struggles for small businesses. And almost the way I look at it is that the straw that broke the camel's back, like it kind of felt like SMBs are really underserved anyways, and we're struggling anyways. And then COVID came along and and really uh, was the catalyst to to create more difficulty. So maybe we could just start by talking about what is the state of SMBs and small business in America right now? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's this year is kind of the year of small business banking in many ways with the PPP loan process and, you know, the impact of the coronavirus on small businesses and being able to weather that storm. And you know, the reality is, is that there are a lot of businesses that were dependent upon doing business in person. And those were the, were the, were the most, you know, the hardest hit. And I was talking to Lee Weatherington um, about a month ago, and it, he picked this up from somebody, but it, he articulated it in a way to me in the banking sector, which made a lot of sense, which is our recovery was not B-shaped. You know, everybody's kind of focused on the B-shaped recovery of the, of the, the, the stock market. But for many business owners, the recovery was K-shaped. In that some of them rebounded and went back up, but many of them, you know, continued to decline, you know, forming a K. And the reality is, is that there are a lot of businesses having to adjust how they do business and doing business in person is probably not the way forward, you know, moving forward. But if you think about the millions of Americans that um, are still doing business on pen and paper, even though we work in fintech, we can't imagine that people do business on pen and paper or that not everybody's using online accounting you know, or, or that not everybody's doing digital invoicing or getting paid, you know, you know, through digital methods. But the reality is the vast majority of small businesses in the U.S. are, are doing their accounting on Excel or pen and paper. They're sending paper invoices. They were collecting checks and cash before, before the coronavirus. And all of that um, was impacted in a very dramatic way. And even businesses that were you know, maybe had a, a square terminal or, or, you know, were accepting digital payments in person through a dongle. When that went away, they still needed to then make that leap to say, okay, well, now how do I do maybe virtual gift carding or how do I accept payments online in addition to the person being right in front of me and transacting, you know, by handing me a credit card? So there was still even an adjustment for that category. So, you know, what we're looking at is there's, according to the SBA, there's 31.7 million small businesses in the US. of those businesses don't have employees. So they are true mom and pop. They're true sole proprietors. And what that means and what that tells us and what we focus on is that they need simple to use tools that help them with cash flow, specifically how to get paid. Because they are not only responsible for going out and being the face of the business and delivering the end product or service, but they're also responsible for bookkeeping, for receivables, for payables, for you know, for everything um, operationally to keep their business going. So you've got that number of businesses, you've got about 41 million independent workers in the U.S. economy. And that, that adds up to about 99% of all the U.S. workforce are in those two categories, right? Amazing. And they have a problem with cash flow. And there was a Chase Cash is King survey that was done in 2016. And what they found at that point in time, they surveyed and looked at data of over 600,000 small businesses, largest survey, financial survey ever done, you know, in small business banking. 
And they found that the median business in the U.S. at the time had 27 days of cash reserve, meaning that they could go 27 days without having money coming in before their reserves were depleted. A short COVID lockdown. (laughs) Exactly, right? right? And then we did a report with um, Ron Shevlin at Cornerstone. We surveyed, I think, close to 1,300 small businesses. And we asked them how long on average it takes you to get paid on like a, like a traditional invoicing process. And we, I think we had seven different categories of business owners by revenue that we interviewed. And, you know, on the low end, it was 27 days to get paid by an invoice. On the high end, it's 41 days. Oh my so, gosh. I mean, do the math. If the average business only has 27 days of reserve and it takes on average 27 days to get paid on a low end invoice. You can see that that's the problem for business owners. They're always behind the curve of cash flow and these day sales outstanding cycles. So really as an industry, anything we can do to make it simpler for a business owner to get paid, that's the biggest benefit we can provide. Yeah. Even I was digging into the Chamber of Commerce data during the height of COVID. And on the, on the Chamber of Commerce website, the number one need for business owners, self-identified from business owners was to make it easier to accept payments from existing customers, even over receiving PPP loans. So Most businesses identified and said, I have customers. I just don't have a good way to still do business with my customers. Mm -hmm. And one of the major blockers for them was, how do I still get them to pay me? Because I just need money coming in. If I get money coming in, I'm good. And they they wanted the PPP loans, but they also looked at that more as like a short-term fix and a Mm Band-Aid. And these business owners were more concerned about the long-term implications of this going on. And so they were really more focused on how do I continually keeping money coming into my business? Not this one term, not this one time short fix, you know, for my business. Yeah. I think especially with just the, the, the change and the shift of how we all perceive how businesses should be able to interact with customers now. Right. I think a lot of people are saying we, we expect and demand to be able to create a virtual experience with our favorite brands and businesses. Interesting. Those are bigger numbers than I think I even never realized. And uh, that 27 number, I mean, and, and I think a key thing there is how do you, in, they can't even invest then in those tools necessarily, right? They need something that is easy to implement, relatively inexpensive and, and probably already part of the experience and, and part of the relationships they already have, which brings me to the state of banks and SMBs. <laughs> Where are we today in terms of that relationship? I think we hear a lot out there that it's broken, that, you know, banks, although, you know, they are providing, I forget the percentage, but it's a huge amount of the loans to SMBs. But it, it feels broken. And I think a lot of that comes down to A, technology, but also B, I feel like a lot of the bankers, they know how to lend money. They know how to provide bank accounts. But they don't necessarily understand technology and how to add some of these resources that they need. So, so if you could talk a little bit about that state of um, that relationship, that'd be great. Sure. I would, you know, I kind of define it's all in flux. And for the most part, um, micro small businesses are really stuck in banking yeah. and banks are really stuck in how to service them. So I'll unpack that a little bit. So um, what really goes on is in inside banking today, and it, this kind of pulls back to my history and how I've seen business uh, kind of work with, with, uh, with banks um, in the past and how I see it kind of transitioning now moving forward. So let's take a step back. In traditional community banking and even, you know, you know retail or, um, you know, more regional banking and, and up market. The way that it that business used to happen was customers would come into a storefront or businesses would go out to and work, you know, do business, you know, at a customer's location or what have you. They would either get paid in person through cash or check, or they'd send an invoice and then the check would come in the mail. And then really the only way to get access to that capital was to physically take it to a banking center to deposit it. 
into your account that you can then get access to that capital, right? And that's how business was largely done. We, you know, moved money through courier systems throughout the U.S. We had, you know, um, large, you know, um, cash collection processes and things like that that they, we had to handle. Banks used to count, we know, account analysis routines to count all the checks and cash that came in and you charge the business owner for these services, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, this digital wave has been taking on. And um, and in digital, now all of a sudden, everybody kind of got moved into these consumer behaviors of how you move money through PayPal and Square and things of that nature. And now all of our consumer kind of uh, usage and Amazon and shopping, the way that we expect to do business is taking hold. And now business owners are getting customers coming to them to say, hey, can instead of like the business dictating how they want to get paid, it's now the customer saying, do you accept PayPal or do you accept Apple Pay? In the survey that we did, there was like, um, you know, the, the average business that we talked to got paid in 12 different ways. And so when you're thinking about a business, like having to keep all that organized and how do you manage that cash flow becomes a problem. And so, you know, where businesses are stuck in banking now and banks are kind of stuck with them is um, how do you manage that relationship if you're the bank? Like, what are the needs of a micro or small business owner? Because on one end of the market, you have consumer banking. Easily, to, you know, remote deposit capture, check my balance, transfer money, pay bills. Okay, that's basic needs. And a lot of micro and small businesses live in personal banking or in basic banking, you know, digital banking experiences that offer that. And then you've got corporate or treasury management or cash management services, ACH batch origination, wire management, positive pay, lockbox services, cash services, all that. So in those two verticals or in those two things, you basically have things that are too basic for the average small business owner. And then you have a category of features that are far too complex and far too expensive, not only for the business owner, but for the bank to actually deploy to a, to a micro or small business owner. And so why PayPal and Square and others are getting so much market share and doing what they're doing is because they recognize the number one need of those business owners is cash flow, specifically how businesses accept money into their account. And what happened is, is as digital payments entered the marketplace, new competition for small business deposits entered, you know, entered the fray, right? Because now as a business owner, I no longer had only one option to deposit money to get access to capital. I now have a multitude of options. I can now have a virtual wallet with PayPal. I can have a virtual wallet with Square. I can have a virtual wallet with Shopify and QuickBooks and on and on and on. And all these vendors now have virtual banking services where they have you know, um, digital bank accounts. They've got real-time business debit cards. They've got one-click lending. And I would argue that unlike any other segment in banking today, micro and small business deposits are at most risk for being displaced out of the banking banking, uh, sector today. They just are. Because largely consumer banking is not broken. It's not broken because you can get a direct deposit from your employer twice a month. It goes right into your account. Paying bills is not, you know, largely not broken. Transferring money is largely not broken. Nobody's going to come in and, you know, completely move you know, a segment of the population at this point in time, I don't think. Commercial and treasury banking is far too complex, far too regulated for somebody to come in. So this segment is at risk because he or she who controls how the deposit controls the relationship. You know, if that money goes into PayPal or Square, rightfully so, if they provide a better value and they've, you know, um, provided something the business owner wants, of course, they're going to market to say, don't move your money back to the bank. Keep it with us. Of course, they're going to put more friction in the process or charge a fee to do that. And then they're just going to keep layering in their own services to better serve that customer, to better monetize that relationship. And so banks right now, I believe, are, are firmly stuck in what they do with this market segment. 
because they have a good chunk of these users in retail and they don't know what to do with them there. They've got a good chunk of them that they maybe move to more commercial banking and there's frustration there from the business owner because it's um, you know, too complex and too expensive. It's not that banks don't want to service this category. It's not that they don't have empathy for this category. They just don't, they're just stuck with what to do. And so I think what to do is what, what we have to adjust is how do you get back and control the deposit? You know, like banks just basically have, that's very one simple thing. How do you get back in control of how a business owner deposits money into their account? And the way forward is you have to digitally enable businesses to do business online. You just do to get paid online. It's very simple. Once you start to do that, money and deposits flow back into the organization. Then you figure out ways to, you know, do better lending to them, to access, you know, provide better credit, get back to like really servicing this category to grow not only their business relationship, but their personal relationship, which is very important in small business banking. So, I mean, that's, that's the key. Everything kind of just like basically falls into, if you can't control the deposit, it's going to be really hard to, to kind of keep hold of these, of these customer relationships. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk about the way forward, because um, one thing that we're starting to see is a lot of sort of challengers, right? FinTech challengers that see this trend. They, they know that the opportunity is ripe. And you mentioned, you know, PayPal, Square, right? A lot of these, these fintechs have already said, you know, they, they might work with a bank in the background, right? The, the pipes and plumbing play, um, yeah. but they're kind of just going and doing their own thing, right? And I think you start to see some of these SMB challenger banks, you know, the Brexes and the Mercury's and Rose of the world. Um, is it too late for the banks? How do we, <laughs> you know, I think one thing that, that I see is, is a lot of the banks, you said they're in a bit of a conundrum because they're like, what do we do? Right. And I think the key is, and we'll get, get to it in a moment, are adopting tools like mm-hmm. AutoBooks that, sure. that can kind of integrate into that experience. But um, it's, it's oftentimes banks are living on these legacy systems. They don't have that own technology themselves. Like, is it too late or can we, can we turn this trend? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's the million dollar question. I don't, one, I don't think it's too late. You know, most of, most um, uh, micro and small businesses still have what they consider a primary financial institution account. There are a number that, um, you know, are more digitally advanced and, and may look at Square PayPal as their pr- kind of primary financial institution in, in many ways. And now maybe even Shopify moving forward. You know, yeah. if I'm a Shopify retailer and now I can, you know, bank with them, maybe in QuickBooks moving forward. But I still think that, you know, we, we see this in our data and when we survey businesses, they still have an affinity towards their banking relationship. But what starts to happen is banks rest on that laurel a little too much. And so we, you know, the PPP process was largely, you know, you mentioned like banks had, you know, especially community banks were overwhelmingly successful with deploying capital mm-hmm. to small businesses at the time, but not so much on the smaller end of that spectrum. And when you look at a company like Square, I think Square Capital did like $820 million in PPP loans. And most of their loans were under $25,000. And so they serviced a whole category of businesses that were finding a really hard time of getting into the banking kind of flow and process of the PPP process. And so when you start to have things like that happen and events like that happen, or, you know, even the, you know, maybe um, easy to access online lending and things of that nature, you start to move sentiment of the business owner because if you can solve their pain, then you become, you know, very important to them and you're helping them make progress in their business. And, you know, they start to shift that sentiment of like, well, the bank's not helping me, but this entity is. And so that's the slippery slope that we have, you know, as an industry of like just sitting back and saying, well, they're not banks and they don't have, you know, your best interest in mind. Well, I mean, that could be argued in the eyes of the business owner. 
On the flip side of that, there are things that banks can should point to to say, you know, you're better off with us. Like after the you know COVID happened, Square made a decision kind of across the board for a segment of their user base that they were going to start holding funds for up to 90 days without any recourse of the business owner, right? And so now if you're a photographer and you've been doing business with Square for years successfully and you have paying customers, now just because you're in a category of users that they view to be susceptible to having chargebacks, they're just going to hold your funds for 90 days. Well, then you start to lose that customer sentiment. And we have a category of businesses inside of um, a job to be done of hiring auto books. That's basically, I used to offer credit card payments with a third-party provider. I was burned. I now want to go back and, and do that through my banking relationship. There are a whole category of users that are very disenfranchised and, and, and unhappy with some of these online tools. You could just start to Google search, why is PayPal or why is Square? And one of the number one things that pops up is holding my money, holding my funds bad at customer service, right? I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in the Google search record. So um, yes, they provide awesome user experiences. It's very frictionless. It's easy to onboard and get started, but there are still opportunities for banks to win. They just have to step out. So the way forward and the answer is, is like you have to find a way to open yourself up to enabling FinTech partnership, I believe, because you're not going to go build payment tech, like what Chase has, and they've acquired it in anyways. Um, but you're not going to go build that as a bank. So you got to go find the right partnerships and relationships. You know, we um, recently did a partnership. It's, it's been in motion for a while, but Q2's marketplace, I think is a wonderful example of that. You know, they've been able to now open up their entire customer base to partner with fintechs more simply and easily. And, you know, like we're growing our number of uh, fintech partnerships, our partnership with Jack Henry and their Bano application. They have an SDK now that we can go build directly into them. NARMI has the same thing. So, you know, Alchemy, the same thing. So all these, you know, I, I, the industry is getting there. You know, we're opening it up. We're, a lot of these vendors don't get enough credit for this. You know, FIS and their Code Connect. You know, there's, there are ways to connect into these organizations. As a fintech, you just maybe don't be so whiny about it and just go do the work, you know, you know, go do the work. They're giving you the tools. And then as an industry and financial institutions, I see the appetite to do business, you know, with fintechs. I think financial institutions probably need to form groups and, and come up with ways to make those, make that a little bit simpler to kind of work through, not, not foregoing diligence and things of that nature, but just find ways to make it more efficient mm -hmm. to get started with fintech vendors because time matters. Yeah. And um, if you don't, kind of step out. There are organizations that have the ability to move large swaths of customers very, very quickly. You know, Chase being one of them. Chase announced uh, recently the ability to, for every one of their 3 million small business customers to use their, their uh, small business checking account as a virtual terminal now. You know, you can go right inside the Chase small business app and you can key in somebody's credit card information and get paid and get access to those funds in real time right into your checking account. But you know what? That's the future of small yeah. business banking. It is. And so as you know, community institutions and regional institutions and now and down the line, they're all going to have to react to that. And you got to be set up to say, okay, small business banking changing. We got to get back in front of the deposit. This is what the industry is telling us. Okay, what steps do we need to take to make that happen? Makes sense. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about how I'd love to focus on audiobooks and how you guys sure. do that, right? And because first of all, I think it's you know a really unique product. And I think that you've kind of 
eating your own lunch, as they say, or eating your own dog food. (laughs) But I I think, so a couple of questions. So just maybe if you could just talk about quickly what autobooks help solve and how you do it. And I think that's actually evolved in the life of the company, right? I know you guys recently embedded payments into your, your experience. And then second advice for other fintechs working to, to partner with banks, as well as banks looking to partner with fintechs. I think one thing you mentioned is that banks in concept want to adopt fintech, but it's time matters. And I think that's one of the biggest issues in these fintech bank partnerships is that the fintechs have VCs barking, barking up their trees, you know, they need to make money right away. And banks, you know, they notoriously take over a year to make decisions. So how, how do we, how do we breach that? And how have you done it? Cause I know you guys have done a great job with that. Yeah, sure. I want to handle, I want to address the last question first, just yeah. because it, 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 you know, top of mind of when you ask that. So by our nature, right, fintech companies, yourself included, we are VC backed, you know, many of us are or bootstrapped or, or what have you. And so our time scale is completely different. And so one, we want to move quicker, quicker, because we need access to customer bases, so we can generate revenue so that we can exist, essentially. Our investors want to see growth and they want to see us moving so that they're more willing to pour more money into the business to continue to fuel growth, right? So you're really incentivized to basically grow as fast as you can um, so that you can get access to more money and reinvest in the business and continue to expand out your products and services. When you run up against the banking world who wants a fintech company to think like that, I think what you're hitting at is a lot of times their process and decision-making process does not match up well to that. Because banks are built to make sure that you manage risk, that you earn a return, but it's measurable. It doesn't, you know, you're not basically saying as a bank, we're going to go deploy capital as fast as we can, find what breaks and then do it over again. You're, you know, like your investors and your board would not like that. So I think it's a really interesting problem for banking in general. Of you're going to have all these fintech companies that are basically operating in a different and non-bank providers and large organizations that are operating under completely different conditions that are rewarded for moving very fast and deploying capital quickly up against an industry that is not built to operate that way. So I think that's one of the biggest points of conflict that's going to happen in the next you know, you know, several years. And seeing that play out is going to be fascinating. For autobooks, can I answer your question? You know, the name auto, autobooks, automated bookkeeping. I mean, we really started, we've always had payment integration in our application and we're a payback or payment facilitator at our core. Uh, but we always had this lean towards getting in, getting integrated with the core, getting integrated with the digital banking experience, making it easier for a business owner to get paid and then automated their, automate their bookkeeping services and get access to real-time financial reports and payables and things of that nature. So kind of that full business management suite. And banks love that message. They do. And because it, it's great. The problem is, is business owners don't care as much about the totality of the app as much as they care about getting paid. And so we pivoted more. So we've made refinements to our application to make payments front and center, because that's what business owners are telling us is most important. So we love our integrated accounting ledger and all the work that we've done on the, on, you know, the, the core integration side and making you know, easy for a business owner to get access to it, aging receivables report and you know, all these things that as bankers we love. But the reality is, is business owners first and foremost want to, want to concern themselves with how do I easily get paid? And then what? Then what? So we kind of call it, you know, our, our mantra is basically come for payments, stay for accounting. And so what we've done is we shifted it to say, this is what business owners care the most about. We're going to lead with this. We're going to continue to refine and iterate our onboarding experience, our underwriting experience. We're going to continue to make it easier for a business owner. 
to sign up online and start getting paid that same day. We're going to make it easier for them to send a digital invoice to a customer. And when they get paid on that, it goes right back in their business bank account. And then hopefully they find value, extreme value in that. And they want to go deeper in the product line and we can do more with them in their banking relationships. So, you know, we're, you know, we're actually leading out in many ways to help financial institutions make getting paid electronically or online by a business customer, a standard feature of small business checking. And we have financial institutions right now that can look chase in the eye and say, we're on par with what you have to offer because all of our business accounts can not only, you know, use autobooks as a virtual terminal inside of their, you know, um, mobile, mobile banking account right now, or their checking account through mobile or online, but they can also do digital invoices and you don't offer that chase. And so we're proud of that, you know, because when Chase first announced that that Super Bowl commercial of the wedding couple that was, you know, on their honeymoon and they were taking pictures of all the checks that they got in their bed and, you know, mobile remote deposit capture, you know, they basically set off a wave of financial institutions chasing them for several years to implement mobile remote deposit capture. Chase is always ahead. And, you know, what I love about, you know, these fintech arrangements and fintechs like yourself and us working with community financial institutions is we can close that gap. And in many cases, we can have community financial institutions and others be on par with or ahead of some of these large organizations as well. So for us, we're leading with how do we make it easier for a business owner to manage cash flow, which starts with making it easier for them to get paid. And then once they get paid in their account, there's a lot we can do with that data ourselves and in partnerships with financial institutions. No, that's amazing. Yeah. It's like once you allow them to come up for air a little bit and and bridge that 27 day gap, right? They'll have the time to really think about, okay, how do I move my business forward now and utilize that data to to really grow? And and that's fantastic. Well, anything else that um, is on your mind, Derek, that you'd love to share with our audience? I think this has been absolutely fantastic and, and really excited to see where the Autobuck story goes. No, I mean, you know, I'm just thankful, thankful for the opportunity, Kara. I've been, you know, following Currency Cloud and what you all are doing. I love, you know, the international side of, of that, you know, businesses getting more international and digitizing that world, you know, the, those capabilities for a segment of small businesses is going to be important as well. So hopefully, you know, like we're both on the small business bandwagon here, we can get banks to like refocus their efforts on better serving small businesses and the our banks will be better for it. Our economy will be better for it. And, um, you know, life will be great. Right. Exactly. I think we, we share the, the mantra that more banks is better. The diversity in the financial system in the U S is so important. And, and your point on, you know, and chase is chase is fantastic with their technology and they're great at what they do, but they're a big bank and they don't understand the communities in which these small businesses serve. And I think that's where really this, the, the community banks and credit unions really can shine because they understand their customers. They can make those unique decisions that are maybe not out, are a little bit outside the box sometimes, right? But if they can then get on par with technology, that's how they really thrive and survive. So, well, thank you, Derek. I uh, really appreciate all your insights today and look forward to releasing this to our audience. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Yep, you too. Take care. Currency Cloud is an online payments company that makes international money transfers fast and simple for businesses. We're building a borderless future where international transactions are seamless for a better user experience. Discover the world's most trusted payment platform and our toolkit of developer-friendly APIs at currencycloud.com. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.